Hey, everyone. This is Derek Stone. And this is Conrad Geringer. And you're listening to the Working Triathlete Podcast. Today, we are speaking with the working triathlete, Charlie Ernst, who is uh, a triathlete based out of Houston, Texas. And he is a long course athlete primarily. Uh, he did 70.3 Lubbock this year, and he recently climbed Mount Rainier, basically off of triathlon fitness. So we will discuss that with him as well as his background and his, and his family and how he, he balances it all, uh, fits it all in, competes at a high level, and also is able to, to climb mountains. So Charlie, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks, Conrad. Thanks, Derek. Uh, great being here with you today. Looking forward to chatting. Glad to have you. Absolutely. No, thanks for joining us. So I know that you have a, a sporting background. I think you grew up playing sports and you specifically have a swim background. So could you just kind of talk about where you're from and, and sort of what got you into triathlon? Yeah, sure. So, um, yeah, I grew up in uh, Northern New Jersey and, uh, my parents had me swimming and skiing before I could walk stayed in swimming basically the whole uh, whole career uh, through high school then into college up at Cornell swam uh, D1 there yeah so swimming kept me honest double double sessions every day and uh, you know no time to get in trouble just uh, enough time to do your school work and uh, move on so swimming background and um, started my my working career in, in New York uh, at a hedge fund and uh, 100 hour weeks there sort of burned me out. So moved out to LA, uh, living on the beach there. Uh, so doing real estate investment banking in Los Angeles. It's a pretty prime place to uh, swim, bike and run uh, right on the sand there of uh, LA. Got into triathlon just loosely and, you know, really enjoyed, enjoyed the bike aspect of it and just being able to cruise up and down Pacific Coast Highway. And, um, you know, started picking it up that way. So um, had some buddies doing it and, you know, got into a sprint triathlon and built my way up, done a couple Ironmans and uh, built up to a, a double Ironman and some some ultra distance events. So just uh, constantly trying to sort of push the boundaries on where I could get to. But um you know, recently just uh, had given it up, well, not given it up, other priorities sort of took over with uh, family, uh, married. Uh, Rachel actually is coached by Derek. So I guess we're completely in the working triathlon family. Um, and um, we decided that we wanted to sort of whip ourselves back into elite shape. And um, so I started getting back into it and uh, happy with the progress thus far that uh, Conrad's brought, brought through. And you swim doubles and just like for the context of the triathletes, I, I think it's always interesting to hear about like a single sport athlete and what they were putting in like a time base or, or yardage. And uh, do you want to reflect on like what type of volume you're putting in each day and week? And then also maybe some PRs in the water. Growing up, I mean, through high school, it'd probably be Monday, Wednesday, Friday, we'd go from 5 a.m. to 7 a.m. And then uh, Monday through Saturday, it'd be an evening practice also. So call it, you know, six to eight or five to seven type of thing. So, you know, probably uh, what, 12, 15 hours, 16 hours a week of swimming. High school, I was sort of mid distance, but getting into college sort of morphed into a sprinter. Um, you know, watching the Olympics, you know, you see some of these guys, every race comes down to the last 50. So I said, well, why am I going to swim 500 or a thousand yards before sprinting the last 50? Let's just get up and do it now and be done. Um, so, you know, 
being a sprinter, we, we got more time in the weight room and, uh, and, and dry land. So that avoided having to do all those, uh, yardage sessions that you're talking about, but I would say, you know, average session, probably, um, 5,000, 6,000 yards, uh, various intensities, but quite a bit of dry land and then, you know, stretching, um, and core work. College athletics are a whole different animal. Um, I think uh, pretty intense compared to uh, high school. Yeah, had a, had an awesome experience all through all through college, and just set it up well to have that discipline to balance and find the right intensity. You know, as you get into multi sport, swimmers definitely often make great triathletes, and I think part of that is, you know, apart from having one of the disciplines sort of in the bag, it's the mental strength that swimming requires i think the session specifically the type of volume that a lot of pure swimmers tolerate and just get used to it's it transfers really well over to triathlon just that mental toughness the ability to look at that black line for hours each day and it also i found that swimmers they they tend to love indoor riding and they tend to tolerate large sessions with ease definitely great to have that background and I know that you know you don't have to spend a whole lot of time in the pool now to swim very fast. <laughs> so uh, I know in the fall we're targeting Ironman Waco, and you'll certainly go under sixty minutes, and you probably won't have to swim all that much, uh, which is good because that allows you to you know allocate more of your precious time to the the bike and the run. So this year so far you've had a couple races and the most recent one was uh 70.3 Lubbock. Uh how did how did that race go? Yeah, so um you know getting back into it here um what started seriously training back in March sort of dusting it off and had Lubbock at the end of June so uh, 445ish uh in Lubbock ended up I think won the swim for the age group and then had a had a solid bike and outperformed on the run. Um, so, you know, I think the, the first goal of this one was just to try to, you know, execute the race plan and was concerned about the heat up there, uh, had been in the hundreds the, uh, the week before, but, you know, got a nice balmy 80 degree day that, you know, so, um, made for, made for good racing. So I tried to, you know, just build into each of the, the three legs and not, um, you know, go out and blow myself up. And, you know, I think I had a smart race, um, mm -hmm. had plenty left in the tank actually at the end, you know, descended everything and, um, set myself up just mentally, um, for getting ready for Waco. Waco is the, is the, the main race this year and Kona is the goal. You know, it's ambitious to come out and say, Hey, I want to qualify for Kona first, first go, but, um, that's what we're going for. That's the dream. And, uh, that's what we're working for. Yes. And I think that race was executed well, uh, certainly. I mean, you just hit, you were spot on with execution and nutrition. And I think two equipment items that are interesting that, that you use during the race that a lot of athletes are actually talking about. So you ran in the, the ASICs Metaspeeds, right? The new ASICs carbon uh, sold shoe. Yep. And, yeah. And so that ran felt good. in the Metaspeeds and, um, you know, I, I don't really have you know, another data point against, you know, the vapor flies or anything like that. I sort of in work, I'm a data geek and sort of a quant guy. So I sort of did some of my research on some of this stuff and wanted to try them out. Um, they felt, they felt great. 
Um, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't have any other experience on super shoes, but, uh, the run right. felt pretty smooth in all, in all comparisons. So very pleased with, with how they performed. Yeah. I've seen a lot of Olympic triathletes wearing them. Right. It was, they're very bright and noticeable, uh, right off the gate. And I think it caught everyone's attention. So I'd be curious to try them out and see how they compare. You were an early adopter of those. I would say, <laughs> I would say like two weeks after they were released, they're like, well, we should get you know, these are shot. And since then, Christian Blumenfeld, he won the Olympics in them. And I think some right. road races, world records were set in them, weren't they? So. Yeah. And then I know Sarah Hall was running them, um, a few others. So, you know, with such the, the gaudy orange color, it forces you to run fast. <laughs> Otherwise you sort of look like a fool, uh, if you're running, them, you know, uh, right. or if you're walking in them. So, um, yeah, no, but, uh, they, they felt pretty, pretty good. And you also tried out the new Rudy project helmet, right? The wing. Yeah. So I went with the wing also, um, you know, I, I had liked Rudy, uh, project all the way back from when I started triathlon, just thought they were a great company, sort of like their aesthetics, um, like their brand. Um, so I had run a couple of their other products previously. And then again, you know, it was just sort of what the Giro helmet was, uh, you know, pretty well rated. The Rudy came out and, uh, I think was getting great reviews and, um, just like the color, like the design, like the mirrored shield and then, you know, mm -hmm. good, good arrow, uh, dynamics to boot. Um, yeah, sort of, uh, all came together. Well, that helmet is testing well on, on everybody. And I think it's testing faster than, than the, the arrowhead now, which is interesting. And. I'm sure that it's, it's cooler, you know, in hot races relative to the arrowhead. So yeah, it felt like good, uh, airflow coming through it. Um, you know, like the built-in shield, the magnetic, you know, uh, enclosure felt really solid, uh, the adjustable, you know, tightening in the back. Yeah. So can't complain about it at all. Uh, you know, performed well and, uh, felt, felt slick on the bike and it showed, it showed in the bike split. So, uh, it did its, it did its job as did your legs. <laughs> the fitness. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing about the gear, right? I mean, you know, triathlon's funny. You can drop, you know, 10, 20 grand easy on cool stuff. Uh, but at the end of the day, um, got to put the hours in to get the body where it needs to be. Certainly balance it all well. You know, you obviously have a, have a family and, and uh, uh, a job, obviously a demanding job. So I guess maybe talk a little bit about that, what you do for uh, your career and maybe what a typical week looks like, not necessarily, you know, workout by workout, but just generally how you think about fitting it all in, you know, growing up in New Jersey and moving out to LA from there, you know, met, met Rachel, great, uh, match.com finds. So, uh, dragged her, my UCLA bride off the beach of LA down to Houston, kicking and screaming. We were down here for, uh, for five years. Uh, we moved up to Nashville briefly and, uh, I think, uh, had to drag her back again to Houston. So, uh, I don't think I have much left as far as moving my wife around here, but, um, you know, we have, uh, two, two small children, Winnie, my daughter, four years old and chip our son, two years old. Rachel does a, a gargantuan task here of mothering these two, uh, children. It's, uh, stay at home moms don't get enough credit. It's the hardest job in showbiz. So can't thank her enough for that. I work for AIG, so a large insurance company. I've been there about a dozen years. Had various uh, jobs with them. Uh, traded a derivative book to hedge all of our products. Uh, did a lot of uh, uh, quant finance stuff. Then moved into the business as a chief operating officer for our life insurance business. And now I head up our data analytics and our digital strategy prog um, programs here uh, for the life insurance portfolio. 
we're constantly trying to, you know, predict how long you're going to live and then sell you life insurance at the right price so that, you know, you get coverage that you need to uh, pay out for your dependents and we make a little bit of money on the side. So pretty demanding job. Um, you know, typically a uh, normal day is, you know, get up around four at four and uh, on the on the bike or treadmill, uh, Rachel's doing one, I'm doing the other. So she gets up also and try to work out, you know, call it from four to 7 a.m. and get the kids up at seven, get them ready. Then I start taking calls at 7.30 in the morning and try to wrap it up around six, you know, sit down, have dinner, working from home is nice. Can uh, sit down, have some lunch with the kids. If I can, you know, pop away, otherwise, you know, look out my window here and see them running around the backyard. So that's, that's nice. But, um, uh, training wise, uh, it's, you know, whatever Conrad gives me, uh, I try to execute and show up consistently. You know, I think we've been logging what 10, 12, 13 hours a week type of thing right now and starting to ramp up a little bit more for Waco. You know, I think, there's a lot more room in my bike to improve. So fortunately we can uh, dial the swim back a touch and really pound the legs on the bike, which pulls the run fitness along with it. Yeah. So far everything's going really well and um, you know, just try to uh, chip it off one day at a time and really make sure since I am an elder athlete now at a mature 40 years old, uh, it'd be 41 next, uh, next week. Uh, really trying to manage the body with uh, good sleep, good nutrition. Rachel is an excellent cook and uh, makes me breakfast, lunch, and dinner. So thank you for that. Trying to take care of myself and make sure I can stay healthy and show up day in, day out. So Conrad would say, like, if you start at 4 a.m., that you're starting to work out to the middle of the night. I like to think <laughs> it's in the morning as well. I don't start that early, but um, most days I'm up at 5 or 5.30 um, out of context. So like you said, you sleep all too. Like what time are you in bed generally most nights? Yeah. So we're shooting for 8 PM bedtime. So you guys are encroaching on that slightly here. Um, but yeah, so it, it, eight to four, right. Try to get the eight hours. And then, uh, on the weekends, if we work out together, we can sleep in a little bit more, try to get nine, 10 hours there being uh, young parents, you don't have a social life anyways, they robs around the kids. So getting the kids in bed at seven, and getting them up at seven, they don't sleep in. So uh, if you want to get rest, you got to go to bed early with them. So uh, fortunately, we've done a good job sleep training them and they are sound sleepers through the night. So they don't really wake us up. Sacrifice uh, social life, sacrifice TV, drinking, whatever it is. And, you know, make sure you get in the sleep and the nutrition to uh, turn it around day in, day out. I think that that is hopefully motivating and inspiring to hear for a lot of athletes, just that you're able to execute all of that. And that's kind of what working triathlete is, is all about, just kind of optimizing training so that you can thrive in, in all domains. And waking up early is definitely essential for that. And it just requires discipline, obviously, which you have because uh, you have goals and, <laughs> and you're executing everything well, uh, including climbing mountains. So, you know, you climbed Mount Rainier, was it two, two weeks ago now? Yeah. So Mount Rainier, uh, started as a 40th guy's birthday bash. Uh, so myself, I have a younger brother, two years younger than me. And we had a bunch of our high school college friends come out and, uh, we were supposed to go last year, but COVID obviously put a wrench in that. And so we pushed it to this year. So yeah, really wanted just to get the guys together and do something other than, you know, let's go to Vegas or let's do something else 
you know, corny um, and um, decided to push ourselves and try something different. I guess I did a little bit, but no one other than me had any mountaineering background. I'd, I'd climbed uh, Mount Kilimanjaro in Africa previously, did a little bit of, tra- I've, I've traveled around the world a little bit, uh, been down to Antarctica and climbed down there and in Peru and in Ecuador and, and you know, Southeast Asia, things like that. You know, wanted to get the gang together to do something that was a stretch, but not unobtainable. Had an awesome trip up to Seattle and uh, went out and uh, climbed with RMI, uh, Rainier Mountain Guides, I guess it is. And fantastic company. They do about 50% of the climbs out there. Super professional, really do a great job of, uh, you know, showing you the ropes. The first day is a, um, you pick up your equipment. They show, show you how to use everything. The second day you go out onto the mountain and you, you learn how to put on your crampons, use your ice axe, uh, attach your ropes together um, and, you know, get some, you know, a half day or really a full day of, of I'll call it basic training. And then you go and start climbing. And uh, Rainier is, is, is a great mountain. It's the fifth highest mountain in the U.S. at 14,500. Mount Whitney's the highest. Climb that. Um, that's more of a hike. Um, so Rainier is actually famous because of its, its high prominence. So there's actually 10,000 feet of vertical climbing on Rainier compared to call it like five or 6,000 on, on Whitney, right? So you actually climb the majority of the mountain and it, and it looks pretty impressive if you've ever flown into SeaTac. It just sort of juts up out of there out of the, out of the horizon. So it's a really cool, uh, cool view. Yeah, it is. I mean, it's an iconic mountain. And I mean, it is a physical feat. It's not like a hike, obviously. It, it requires tremendous fitness and prep. Talk a little bit about, I don't know if there was a base camp where you had stayed the night before and what time you left in the morning, or I guess it was probably the middle of the night. And then uh, maybe what your nutrition looked like when you were climbing. Yeah, sure. So um, the the base sort of where you drive the car up to is at 5,400 feet. And the first day you hike from 5,400 up to 10,600. So call it a 5,000 foot gain on the first day. And that's, you know, a mix of hiking path where, you know, people are just going sightseeing for the day. And then you get on to the snow covered slope, which you, know, you put on your alpine boots for and need to dig in a little bit and you know use your poles to get up to the top. Um, takes about five and a half hours to get up to that mid-mountain base camp. You get in there and you basically uh, have uh, oh, all the all the time you're you're just basically eating you know whatever you want. So um, you know Conrad's a Tailwind fan and sort of converted me into that, and I had some Tailwinds in my in my water. And you're and all this time you're you're carrying your pack. So you know you got 50 pounds on your back. You got your sleeping bag. You got multiple boots. You got your crampons. You got all kinds of different layers of clothing, hiking poles, ice axe. You know you name it. So you, you got to lug all that stuff up to uh, 10,000 foot. Nutrition wise, anything from you know electrolyte and you know simple sugar you know drinks to gummy bears, trail mix, um, power bars. You know you name it. Uh, you know it's 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 similar to, to the Ironman smorgasbord out there where you just try to get the, uh, get the carbs in and uh, get as much calories that you can because you're just, you know, burning up uh, on the hike up. See, so you, you get up there to 10,000 and um, you uh, basically uh, rehydrate some food up there. They have a, a water melting station that they're, they're boiling water and, you know, giving that out to the hikers there. Had a delicious uh, 
freeze-dried spaghetti and meatball uh, dinner. I think, you know, whatever it is, you know, basically an MRE equivalent. And you go to sleep, call it 6 o'clock p.m. and in a bunkhouse filled with 15 other people. So you can imagine the, the quality of sleep that you have in that uh, cozy environment. Basically at 11 o'clock, they wake you up. So, you know, maybe you get five hours sleep tops, more like two or three. You bundle up. It was it was probably in the in the mid twenties there at ten thousand feet at, at eleven o'clock. You get all in your gear. You get your headlamp on, your helmet. You rope into your team, and then you put on your crampons and off you go. And how it works is you have a team guide, and then basically three or four people rope to you. So you know you got about ten or twelve foot of rope between you, and you know just start out plodding along. And being the triathlon nerd, I did wear my heart rate monitor and was monitoring my zones. And it was a very zone one, zone two effort. So um, not dissimilar to a lot of the the base training that we do. And so you go under the uh, the moonlight with your headlamp on, and you just sort of plod away. Uh, and it took. Uh, about six and a half hours to go from 10,500 up to 14,400. What's the saying? It always gets colder before the, uh, the sun rises. So, you know, we were down in the low twenties and um, one of the guys in the team on our group actually ended up spraining his ankle, unfortunately. So uh, he couldn't make it all the way to the top. So we had a, I think we were about 12,000 foot on an exposed cliff. We had to sit there and wait to reorganize all the teams. So you're, fingers are all a little chilly there during the breaks, but, um, you know, eventually that sun starts coming up and, uh, you know, you start to see the orange glow coming over the horizon, gives you a little bit of new energy and motivation and you punch it to the top and, uh, you know, get up to the top. It's a little thin air up there. You know, eventually the sun's up and you're, you're sitting at the, the top of the, uh, the Northwest there looking out over, um, the Pacific Northwest, pretty amazing site. That's amazing. Yes. So I, I didn't realize that there was a little bit of adversity in there, but, uh, I guess, <laughs> I guess it's not like Everest where if that happens, you're it's disastrous. Um, so, so how did that work? The person who got the, who sprained their ankle, did they, did somebody come up and, and carry them down? So how it works is there's sort of two squads and, uh, the expedition lead is actually, pretty famous in the mountaineering community. He has uh, 15 summers of Everest under his belt and uh, has the most summits by any non-Sherpa. So he was our sort of expedition guide. And then there was six other sort of guides along, uh, along with him. And um, so basically we re-roped the teams. One of the guides took, took our buddy down and, you know, he hobbled down. It wasn't too bad. Okay. And um, everything, everything made out fine. Um, but yeah, as I told my mother, this isn't Everest, you know, you're not, you're not here about to die. Um, but you know, it is, there is risk. I mean, you know, you're, you're oh, climbing, yeah. there's massive crevasses, there's ladders that you have to uh, cross to get across these things where you sort of stare down and you think you're looking at the core of the earth, mm -hmm. uh, a pit of despair. You know, you, you, you just got to be careful. Um, you know, the guides are excellent, but you know, you, you start walking around and doing things that you're not supposed to do, then um, you can definitely get in trouble up there. Yeah. I mean, I've definitely heard stories of people sort of walking down Rainier and they're, you know, they're exhausted, they're tired, they're, they have brain fog, they're not paying attention. And it's, it's easy to almost just walk into one of those crevasses. 
honestly, the downhill was the most challenging part of it because uh, you, you end up summoning there around you know 6.30 in the morning and you're up at 14.4 and then you got to take it all the way down to the 5,000 foot base camp. So you got to come mm. down 10,000 foot of descent. Oh, wow. And um, <laughs> the pounding on the quads was definitely something that I underestimated for sure. Um, you know, the legs are beaten, you know, raw meat jello by the time you're, you're down to the end. And it's not just path where you just sort of go down. You're very focused. You're avoiding crevasses. You're, you're staying on a narrow path. You know, you got to go over some scree, some loose rock. So it's technical. So you, you, you're, you're on edge. And you know, that, that day you started at 11 or midnight and you end up getting back down to base camp around three or four in the afternoon. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you're talking a 16 hour day, um, pretty much nonstop. And, um, yeah, the body, the body was feeling it at the end, the, the feet, uh, a little bit blistered from those, you know, Alpine boots, not definitely not as comfortable as the, uh, the a six Metaspeed. Um, so you're, 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 uh, you're ready to be done there and have a cold beer by the time you get down. I'm sure that beer tasted good. Half a beer and you're just basically ready to go to bed. <laughs> yeah. I can imagine. Yeah, that that's that's amazing. I didn't I don't realize that you had to climb the whole way down to uh and then you get carried down from there or blown down from a helicopter or how's that work? <laughs> no, so you you, you come from 144 down to the 105 where you spent the night. Okay. And you pick up the rest of your belongings. Uh so your pack to the summit was lighter. It was like only 20 mm-hmm. pounds. You come Got back it. down there, sense. you know, grab a little bit more food, a little bit more water. You know, then you come all the way back down to the 5,400 elevation level with all your gear. And then, you know, your shuttle picks you up there and drives you back down to the town of Ashford. So um, we didn't go from ground zero to 5,400. So I guess we skipped a little bit of it. Um, right. But, you know, that's pretty much how, how all these, these tours go. In comparing it to an Ironman, I mean, it sounds like it is much more difficult. Uh, and I think you had mentioned that or not maybe much more, but how would you compare the effort? And recovery. Yeah, no, it was interesting. I mean, I went in sort of think I was joking with Conrad that God, I hope it's not as difficult as an Ironman, having done two and having gone to an ER once about you know for dehydration on my first one, you know, <laughs> not knowing my sweat rate. Um, but I think there are a lot of you know similarities and contrast to it. It's you know one of those ones where it's very similar to an Ironman, where it's that same type of you know time that you're you're out there exerting mm-hmm. yourself it's not like you know a deep exertion the whole time you're not digging deep the whole time zone 1 zone 2 but you got to just keep grinding and you know the also the other thing that's sort of interesting is that there's a lot of things that are out of your control very similar to you know an ironman race you know you can't really control the weather you can't really control your equipment you can't really control you know how you're going to feel your gi from your dehydrated meatballs you know, that, you know, are giving you GI distress or, you know, whatever you're happening out in the course with your gels or anything like that. So there are a lot of similarities in that and that mental aspect of just, you know, clear head, you know, focus in the task at hand and just, you know, get it done. But I think the real difference for me was just the risk profile. I mean, at least when I race Ironman, I'm not really, you know, thinking life or death per se. I mean, I guess, you know, on those open course, open bike courses that you got to watch out for the oncoming traffic, but, um, you know, the, the edge of a mountain, just being on, on there and, you know, watching the planes fly up under you, taking off from SeaTac, 
um, you, you know you're someplace that maybe you're not supposed to be per se. You know, that was interesting. You know, the, the team component, you know, you're roped in, you know, to, you know, five other people. So you really depend on, you know, the team to get you there. If someone's slowing down, everyone slows down. If someone's speeding up, everyone's speeding up. So unlike, you know, maybe the individual, you know, aspects that we deal with in triathlon, non-draft, you know, legal races, um, this is, it was more of a team aspect. So I would say it's, it's very similar, but different, maybe not, you know, perfect to compare, but I guess if I had a how to say the the effort is very similar. The the downhill just crushed me more than any Ironman would. But I think Ironman training and Ironman or you know triathlon mindset definitely sets people up well for success in this arena. You know, weather aside, um, you got to deal with a little you know chilled hands and you know cold nose and all that stuff, right? That you you probably don't deal with in triathlon. But I, I think that you can do very well in uh in climbing and mountaineering you know having having the dedication that we have in triathlon it makes a lot of sense a lot of crossover there that cardiorespiratory fitness certainly helps i imagine but it is difficult i think preparing for that downhill track it's simulating that is tough constant it's essentially just lunges for hours on end and then with a 20 pound pack it's got to be brutal looking ahead so i know that uh ironman waco is on the list any Anything else that, that you're eyeing? Any other mountains that you're contemplating climbing? Or is it just eye on the prize first? Just Ironman, Waco. Yeah, so Waco, Waco is the near-term goal here, um, end of October. So heads down, really focus on that. Derek's coaching up Rachel for uh, a um, Boston qualifying attempt at the Houston Marathon in January. So uh, ideally would like to come off of that and, and help pace her to that. I owe her one. She, uh, she paced me 52 miles at the, the back leg of our Ultraman uh, triathlon. So uh, I, I owe her one there. Maybe we got Kona in the future. Uh, like to do some more climbing, but um, yeah, we like staying active. Absolutely. And it's great having a partner who does endurance sports also and, and understands so that's massively helpful. So it sounds like you both have a, a great system going and, and are able to empower each other to still chase after those goals, which is great. Especially um, in the mornings, if you're able to get up in the mornings and kind of hold each other accountable too. Like you had that person there right next to you. Like you said, if you're on the bike, she's on the, the treadmill. That's awesome. You know, not, not everyone has an opportunity and makes it, makes it more enjoyable when you have, you know, your spouse right there along with you for the ride. You're not suffering alone. We're sort of talking, you know, there is a lot of, you know, sort of dark alone in your tunnel time, but, um, you know, having, you know, being able to do dry land and, you know, sort of, you know, commiserate and, you know, try to line up our long runs together. So it's, uh, it's great having her, you know, as a running partner and just, you know, very supportive of the whole endeavor, uh, understands the commitment that it takes and, you know, the sacrifices that must be made. And it's just sort of, shared effort. I mean, it really is a team effort. Uh, you guys know this better than anyone, you know, you do a lot of the work, but you have your coaches, you got your family, you got your friends, you got everything else there. So, you know, it, it's great to have that support circle around you. For sure. And, you know, I will throw one other opportunity out there. Uh, so 70.3 Chattanooga just opened up and that's going to be our target team 70.3 next year. So if there's nothing on the calendar at that point, and you want to get back to Tennessee for a weekend, that's an option. We're, we're aiming to win the club competition and uh, have a great showing there. So awesome. Yeah, no, definitely would like to talk, you know, 
2022 calendar here and right. how all that develops. Uh, I'm fearful if I bring Rachel back to Tennessee, I may not be able to uh, get her to leave. So, um, <laughs> but no, joking aside, uh, it's a beautiful state and uh, super jealous uh, that you guys are all up there. Sounds like the perfect opportunity to come back then. Exactly. Thanks for hopping on this podcast. I think this was incredibly interesting. I think a lot of people are going to find, you know, good tidbits of wisdom in here and also just enjoy listening to the, to the adventure you had. So yeah, thanks very much for having me really appreciate the time and, uh, appreciate, you know, Conrad, all the help that you've, uh, structured and given me in the, in the endeavors here and Derek, you know, thank you on behalf of Rachel. I know that she enjoys working with you as well. It speaks highly of, of your system. So, you know, hats off to you guys for doing a great job and running a class act of an organization. We, um, we're, we're happy to be a part of it. Yeah, I love having you on. And I think it's great to have, you know, something that breaks up the monotony of swim, bike, run. And I think everyone else, all our listeners will enjoy it as well. Good stuff. Absolutely. No, we appreciate it. And uh, any listeners out there, do not hesitate to reach out to Derek or myself. Reach out to, to me at Conrad at workingtriathlete.com. And you can reach me at Derek at workingtriathlete.com.